Hey folks, quick public service announcement. We're going to do things a little bit differently for this episode. We've received some very positive feedback on the content and flow of the show, but some folks mentioned that they prefer having the sponsor mentioned at the beginning and end rather than halfway through where it may disrupt the flow of conversation. I also assume that's so that people can just fast forward real quick through the beginning and then just drop off before the end if they prefer not hearing the sponsor. So whatever you like to do is up to you. And thank you so much for the kind words and the feedback. And let me know if you like the new format. Cheers. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. This episode is brought to you by hrvcourse.com. After working with thousands of people over the years, it became very clear to me that most people don't truly understand heart rate variability. And it's easy to see why, since the best and most useful information on HRV is scattered about the internet amidst a bunch of other noise and misinformation and optimistic extrapolation. And so myself and several of the expert guests that you've heard on this podcast actually joined forces to create some in-depth coursework to dig into the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability, and just as important, how to effectively apply those principles to real-life situations. We dig into health, we dig into performance and recovery and rehabilitation and more. And after taking the foundations course, feedback from doctors is that they are finally confident enough to implement HRV into their practice. Elite coaches in every sport from the NFL and rugby to MMA to Ironman and mountain biking are saying it was well worth their time to take the course and have a single in-depth resource on the subject. The list goes on, but more information on the curriculum and details of the course can be found at hrvcourse.com slash elitehrv or just tap the link provided in your podcast player. Don't forget, listeners of the Elite HRV podcast get a 10% discount. So just head on over to hrvcourse.com slash EliteHRV to check it out and use coupon code ELITEPODCAST, all one word, for 10% off of any course at checkout. Course enrollment is only open certain times of the year, so I recommend checking it out today. That's hrvcourse.com slash EliteHRV. Hey folks, your host Jason Moore here. Welcome back to the Elite HRV podcast. Today we have guest Dr. Marco Altini joining us to share some of the nitty gritty of how data science plays a role in heart rate variability analysis and other types of quantifiable research and self-experimentation. Marco is the lead data scientist at Bloom, which is a pregnancy wearable technology company. And they're receiving a lot of attention, uh, getting a lot of activity um, lately. But he is also the founder of HRV for Training. And I'll let him give a bit more about his background in the episode. Um, Just as a heads up, we may ruffle some feathers in this episode uh, when we talk about various hardware and the potential inaccuracies of those different types of hardware. 
Um, we mentioned a few brand names, which we don't have anything against those brands particularly, but they may or may not be sufficient for heart rate variability. And we take uh, Marco gives us a data science view of why. And uh, despite all that, hopefully that clears the air a little bit on that topic specifically. But we also cover how to increase confidence in your data for better decision making, creating continuous feedback loops for making better decisions again, um, how to capture accurate changes in heart rate variability on a day-to-day basis so that acute changes in heart rate variability. Um, Increasing confidence using interventions versus just observational data effectively. What is regression analysis and how do we use it with heart rate variability? And predicting HRV values for a person based on certain characteristics such as age, gender, body weight, and genetics. Um, Which variables affect HRV the most? And we take our Marco kind of presents a systematic approach for finding that out and the accuracy of various HRV hardware. As I mentioned, uh, we kind of dig into that a little bit and um, share some mutual (laughs) uh, headaches that we've run into in that regard. And uh, so also, why do we focus on RMSSD and time domain HRV values instead of the frequency or nonlinear values? A little bit about that. HRV during pregnancy, which was a short bit towards the end, but really interesting that I didn't know about. And uh, Marco's experience combined with Bloom and HRV for training uh, had some really interesting tips there. And there's much more to it. Uh, Lots of stuff in between all of that. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. Um, We're really excited. We have Marco Altini um, here with us from San Francisco. And um, Marco, you know, we're enemies, so uh, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. But um, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, taking the time to do this interview today and sharing your knowledge with folks. So uh, welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Jason. Yeah, definitely. So I'm pretty sure if people have heard of heart rate variability, they've probably uh, come across your blog, um, either marcoaltini.com or hrvfortraining.com. I'm sure folks have seen one of those, but um, could you give a little bit of background about, um, you know, where you come from and uh, and all that? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been uh, working mainly with um, wearable sensors and physiological data for a couple of years. Um, I did my master's and bachelor's in Italy uh, in computer science engineering. Then I moved to the Netherlands where I work in R&D Institute uh, for a couple of years. Then did my PhD there in applied machine learning, working, um, let's say, between physical activity um, and technology and health, like developing algorithms for activity recognition, energy expenditure estimation, fitness estimation. Um, you know, trying to make sense of um, accelerometer and physiological data acquired in free living. And then as a side project, I started working more on um, other methods to acquire and interpret physiological data. Uh, for example, using heart um, rate variability and delta. So, and I developed HIV for training and um, 
started um, let's say another journey on you know trying to interpret this data and work more with athletes and uh, eventually even met you <laughs> so that's why I'm here right now and uh, yeah it's been uh, an interesting process you know trying to first um, try to understand how you know to provide easy ways for people to to gather this data but then also pulling data from many people and trying to move towards uh, interpreting this data and provide more uh, useful insights to people that want to actually, you know, take action based on this data. Nice. Yeah, no, thanks for that. And, um, and basically, there's a lot of folks out there that are doing, you know, primary research or they're applying HRV to their uh, gym or their sports team or their health practice. Um, but not a lot of people get to dive into large quantities of data when it comes to heart rate variability. And given your background in data science um, and your ac- you have access to a large quantity of HRV data, so I thought it would be kind of neat to focus on that um, for this episode and, and get pick your brain a little bit because this is a perspective that um, not too many people have. Um, so yeah, so let's start with, um, I wrote down a couple of bullets. Um, I just wanted to mention to folks that I think this aligns with uh, your platform and my platform as well. Just for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to mostly be talking about uh, short-term HRV readings that are less than five minutes and uh, focus on RMSSD and time domain values. Uh, you know, we can obviously talk about other parameters as well if it comes up, but just so that folks are clear, that's kind of what we'll be talking about when we say HRV score or something like that. Uh, let's start off with uh, some some questions. Um, so when it comes to data analysis, uh, what is a confidence interval or a confidence coefficient? Um, so normally we, uh, we talk about confidence intervals when we... Um, are interested in estimating a parameter. So we want to know, for example, what's um, HRV of, uh, I don't know, a specific subpopulation, or even of just a person, right? As HRV, there is so much variability, you know, in uh, even conservative measurements throughout the day or uh, on a day-to-day basis. So when uh, we we wanted to estimate uh, a certain parameter, typically we don't have uh, the possibility to measure um, let's say across the entire population of interest. So we would take a sample of the population. We would say, okay, um, we gather data from a certain a certain amount of people, and then based on different uh, things, for example, what the variability in the data per se, so the variability, not the variability data, but also what the, the amount of people that you gather um, for your sample, we can build a confidence, a confidence interval, which will be larger let's say so we are a bit less uh, you know sure about where the, where's the value of the population um, if we have less data and, um, and you know it tends to be smaller if we have more data we get um, closer to, to what is probably the, the true parameter of the population. Okay so basically uh, that's pretty straightforward if you have uh, let's say for one individual the more readings you have the more confident you can be that you're getting an accurate picture and then across a population, the more samples you have, the more confident you can be that you have accurate representation for that population. Exactly. I think especially, well, for a population, this um, 
it's kind of obvious as it is, uh, like, you know, as, as I would say standard statistic, statistics works. So if we would, you know, if we are interested in understanding what's HRV of, um, I don't know, runners, uh, we, we know for sure we will not measure all the runners, but, you know, as uh, your platform, you have maybe, I don't know, 20, 30,000 runners. Uh, you can start, you know, looking at this data and get an idea of what is um, the, the HRV of, of this specific population, maybe with respect to other studies that published what the HRV would be for sedentary population or for a different subset of the, of the population. Um, and yeah, in general, um, for if we look at individuals, that's a bit different as um, what we care about maybe it's uh, it let then it depends what we care about let's say we wanna wanna see what's your uh, chronic uh, HRV your baseline HRV mm -hmm. that's normally in you know in certain studies what what we end up looking at um, is uh, what's a chronic HRV of a person uh, and how many recordings do you have to um, to gather to get to a reasonable um, estimate of what that value would be if you cannot measure every day. If you measure every day, even better, right? Then right. you don't need to make this estimate. You know, you have all the data you have, you need to have. Okay, and so um, you know, recently uh, we wrote a blog post over on hrvcourse.com, and it was like the top mistakes made uh, when measuring HRV, and it was actually the most popular post so far on that site. Uh, it was a great post, by the way. I, I loved it. So I also shared it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's probably why it was so popular. I think like uh, <laughs> people who um, measure HRV or, or help people measure HRV can kind of relate to getting those questions probably sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, so on there, we talked about um, kind of sort of a, about this extrapolating one reading out to mean something that maybe it doesn't mean um, and we got some questions like well how many readings um, over like a week's period of time uh, do you think are, is important and uh, I know that uh, Daniel Plews and and the folks in his camp have done research on elite athletes um, showing that like three heart rate variability readings in a week and we're talking about like one per day, not three in a row <laughs> in one day, but um, is good enough for them. But uh, I don't know if this is too specific of a question, but in your opinion, like what would be the difference for a normal person between just taking three readings in a week and maybe taking a reading every day? Like how much of a mm -hmm. confidence difference would that make? So um, let's say that like the way you compute intervals, uh, like mathematically speaking, you would gain, um, let's say if you double um, the number of readings, you would get uh, confi more confident by square root of two because the square root of n with n is the number of, you know, times you double, mm -hmm. times you, the measurements. So it would be like, 1.4 times more more confident, but in, in practice, like to make this more tangible, let's say. Um, I think it depends a lot on uh, what we want to look at. So uh, in these studies, often they focus a lot on uh, uh, on baseline HRV. So they look over periods of, uh, let's say, three, even six months, uh, approaching a very important competition, even um, the Olympics, or these are uh, pro athletes, and then they don't look much at um, 
I would say a day-to-day -day variations. They look at uh, periods uh, of iron training load, at tapering, at how different athletes have different individual responses, even in chronic baseline HRV. Um, however, I think there is even so, and, and definitely, if, if you compute this uh, HRV with three, four measurements, you probably get a decent estimate of your baseline. However, I think uh, also with a recent research from other researchers, for example, um, Andrew Flat, you see that there is valuable information, not only in your baseline score, so the average, let's say, of your week, which might be very similar if you take three or six recordings, but also in day-to-day uh, -day changes, right? So if, uh, if you have a certain average, it could be that you get that average because every day you have the same number, or it could be that you go up and down a lot around this average, right? So this is what is quantified as um, the coefficient of variation, or which is basically just you know, normalizing the standard deviation of the data. Um, but so as there is variable information in this, uh, in this uh, property of your data, in how much it, it's changing on a day-to-day -day basis, I think it's still uh, much more valuable to measure every day, even though you might get a good baseline even just measuring a couple of days per week, simply because you can derive uh, you know, more information. For example, um, what Andrew showed is that uh, if there is less day-to-day -day variation, it could be that you are better adapted to your training plan. Uh, on the other hand, uh, this also has to be taken into account uh, in the context of training load because um, it has been also shown that for athletes that are already way too far into uh, overtraining and then their HRV baseline is basically completely crashed um, and flat and then you also have no variation but you know you can figure that out because you know that your baseline also has been going down quite a lot. So it's a, it's a way to look at multiple parameters. Um, and yeah, in this context, I think it's important to look at um, all measurements during a week and not only, um, let's say, a subset, even though definitely three, four recordings can get you uh, a good baseline. So if you look at data over months and um, and you care more about how your general physiological stress is changing over this period of time, um, that works, I think. Okay, so it sounds like if you're if you're going to be looking back over a period of months, then if you take a couple of readings a week, a few readings a week, then you'll probably have a pretty good idea of uh, the baseline uh, changes throughout those months. But if you were looking back like um, even just one week, like if, say if, a, if on Saturday you just wanted to review Monday through Friday, but you only had one or two readings, then you probably wouldn't get the full picture and you wouldn't be able to maybe make meaningful decisions for the following week, for example. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that especially if we want to use this like as a continuous you know, feedback loop to make changes like on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and not only to look at the data afterwards, like sometimes in studies we don't even want to intervene, we just want to see how things change and then it's fine to, to gather this data over months and then look at it. But you know, as a user of one of these apps, then what you want to do typically um, at, after a certain period maybe in which we first you know, try to learn how um, your physiology is changing and what are the stressors that affect you. Um, later on, you want to definitely make some changes and possibly on a day-to-day -day basis. 
and then uh, in that case it's it's better if um, if you get all the scores and you can also look at these additional variables cool and then like similarly so the coefficient of variation is kind of that measure of the uh, the change day to day if you do kind of a, a weekly rolling coefficient of variation or something like that and so even that if you're going to look back on on months of data you may not really have an accurate rolling cv uh, if you only take a handful of readings every now and then you could still have a good picture of the baseline but you wouldn't really see uh, meaningful or you you wouldn't have a high confidence in that yeah definitely uh, it's uh it's definitely more important than to measure on a day-to-day basis especially because what we what we capture here often is uh, really acute changes so you know um at least in, even in my data i see it's very easy to go um i don't know 50 or 100 percent higher or lower on a day-to-day basis right without a variability or if we talk about MSSD, which is not the case of course for heart rate which is much more of a stable parameter right. um, and then when changes are so big then it's um, uh, yeah it's important I think to, to, to collect more data because otherwise we might uh, derive the wrong conclusions. Okay great now let's take a look at cross-sectional data. Um, starting with the big picture could you tell us a little bit more about what cross-sectional data is and how it's used? Okay, so cross-sectional data uh, is when we look at um, at data, let's say, at one point in time. Okay, so there are different ways of to do st- studies. Uh, one of the easiest and the one that we, we typically do first is a cross-sectional study um, because uh, it's a kind of observational study, so you don't, um, you don't mess up with people or with the data. You just uh, you know, take a snapshot at a period in time um, of a certain variables of interest, uh, and then uh, you try to see how they relate to other variables that you gathered. So often this is a first step because uh, you cannot uh, typically understand that much on you know causal links and uh, what, trig- what triggers what. But what you can understand if there is uh, if there is a relationship with, se- with, with between certain variables. For example, um, say we we collect all this HIV data um, and uh, people also enter some other parameters related to themselves, even just um, age or gender or how much they train. So if at a certain point of time you, uh, you know, freeze your database, take a snapshot of all the people you have, what's their baseline HRV, what's, you know, how old they are and all of that. And then you can start looking at these variables to see what are the main correlates of uh, artery variability, right? What are the variables that can explain uh, some of the differences between people? So that's something you would do, uh, you could do, uh, let's say, with an observational study, a cross-section analysis of, um, of the data uh, at a certain point in time, just a snapshot. Okay. So like you said, that's a starting point and it kind of gives you uh, a point to work from. And then I, I would say that the next question is, what is longitudinal data? And I think I could see how this could add extra value. Yeah, that's definitely when things get more interesting. Um, so still there are some limitations, uh, even with longitudinal um, data and uh, longitudinal studies, um, typically we do not uh, intervene. So uh, you don't really make changes in how the data is collected. Um, but this time we look at data at multiple points in time. 
So with this HRV data, for example, we collect that um, it can be as, as frequent as every day, right? Because some people measure every day and then you have uh, many more parameters to look at because, for example, when we looked at the cross-sectional snapshot, um, we cannot include much of the parameters that people, for example, add subjectively related to everything else they do in their life because it's just one point in time. While if we start looking at longitudinal data, then we can look, for example, at the relation between um, how your physiology changes and, uh, say, sleep or uh, training load, training intensity, mm -hmm. um, all other, you know, fatigue, all sort of parameters that you would log longitudinally uh, as you measure and you keep measuring, then it's all data that you can correlate uh, longitudinally with physiological data to try to see what are the main parameters here um, that basically are behind changes in physiology and that can, um, let's say, trigger some more interesting insights on how to use this data. Okay, so starting with cross-sectional, like if I was a, a user or if, even if I was a coach trying to start analyzing one of my athletes or, or uh, re patients, um, uh, the first HRV reading, for example, would be just kind of a cross-section at one point in time, and it just gives you kind of a general area of where we're starting, right? And yeah. that can be kind of compared to other people at that same point in time uh, to give it more meaning. But even so, if you really want to dive in on what's meaningful for that individual, it's probably best to start looking at that uh, longitudinal data, take more readings for that individual over time. And which is kind of just like what we started the conversation with. It just increases the confidence that you have in that um, chronic HRV level or the baseline HRV level and then it also gives you the ability to not necessarily get 100% causality but you can at least start correlating other variables with that over time. Yeah definitely so yeah the, the problem with causality is that you would need um, basically to do a, a randomized study and you know to have some people go through certain um, let's say protocol and some people are not or so you know placebo or a different one uh, or you would need to um, you know intervene uh, for example if you want to you know is uh, is sleep affecting HRV or is the other way around you have a low HRV and you sleep bad like this this is one of the things where um, you know maybe domain knowledge sometimes helps you might think you know you don't sleep well your body is not rested and then your HRV the day after mm -hmm. is not optimal, uh, one way of thinking about it, but you can never be sure 100% unless you do something like, I don't know, disrupting sleep for people uh, right. yourself, you know, during a study, and then you measure the HRV the day after and see if that has an impact, and then maybe you can start to, um, you know, be a bit more sure about causal links between this. But still, longitudinally, if you see strong correlations between these two variables, then um, you can definitely start, you know, looking at trying to make some changes yourself. Um, if you see, you know, your physiology is always much worse when you travel a lot or don't sleep well, and then um, you can try to intervene on your sleep first and then see if that also improves uh, your physiology and, you know, gets you less stressed. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's good to hear, like, 
uh, especially kind of that N equals one um, self tinkering is so important, I think. And that's kind of the power that like our apps bring to the table versus just going to a hospital to get your HRV measured once once a year or something like that. Um, yeah, is the- especially on this, I think there's um, even like the more I work with this data, the more I think like I'm a bit more skeptical when I see there is also much research where there is just a, an HRV snapshot um, for one person, like before a certain intervention and after, okay? And, and this is done also a lot for, uh, for training, for example. Um, and I think it makes sense for certain variables. For example, you can measure, I don't know, fitness, VO2 max, you can measure even just resting heart rate below and after the intervention. And just comparing these two data points is meaningful because there is some clear processes that, you know, um, take place during the training and, you know, your heart muscle changes in a way that you expect your heart rate to reduce. Mm-hmm. However, as HRV changes so much on a day-to-day basis, I think that just taking one snapshot for one person, uh, it can be too affected by um, acute changes. Basically, just what this person did uh, that morning or the day before, even if they were following um, a protocol that typically is, you know, go to the lab, don't eat, um, you know, don't do a sport before measuring and all of that. Even major stressors in, you know, two days before can still affect your physiology. So uh, I think, yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna, get a bit more real on what are these changes uh, across people we need to measure longer and I think maybe before this was well definitely before this was a problem a challenge even like because of lack of technology if people had to go to the lab and measure maybe you couldn't do that for an entire week just to get one data point that is the HRV baseline of this person but now as technology is uh, you know progressing a lot and it's so easy to measure these variables I think it's um, it will be nice to see a bit more of um, longitudinal HRV data, uh, even as pre-post, uh, if not during the entire study, uh, as I think that's um, very valuable data and it gives a much better idea of uh, what's the baseline of a person. Even if I just look at my data for past week, I, if I was measuring uh, on a bad day, I had a score that was less than a half than the highest score of the week. So. Yeah you know, where do I put me? And then if I measured only once now and once in three months after a certain intervention, what would that, that tell me about the intervention? Probably nothing because it's simply one data point, which is very noisy. So, you know, collecting more data and, you know, sticking to this more as a habit can definitely provide uh, more valuable information. Yeah, that's great. That's that's exactly the type of information that I was hoping we would cover in this episode because, um, you know, it's one thing for... Uh, people to just say, oh yeah, just take more readings because it's more accurate. But that's a very good example, and, and especially coming from somebody who has an extensive background in data science, uh, saying like, this isn't just because we want to be, you know, 2% more confident. This is because uh, if you take one reading now and one reading in three months, you know, like you said, it could have been on your low day, this week yeah and in in three months it could have been on the high day by accident and then you think holy cow i'm just like i'll probably go do an iron man tomorrow because my hrv is so much better (laughs) definitely definitely so there is so much variability in the data that it's really important to you know try to capture that for, for for more for more time okay and so um 
I'd like to ask also, what is regression analysis and how does that apply? Mm -hmm. So uh, when we look at um, variables uh, at a certain point in time, let's say in a transactional study or even longitudinally uh, over time, uh, often we do that because we want to try to predict um, one variable given other variables or uh, to understand how one variable changes with respect to other variables. So we use a technique among others, which is called regression analysis, where we basically um, develop a model which uh, puts in relation different variables to the predicted variables. Say an example, we want to see something I was looking at when, uh, when I looked at um, cross-sectionally cross at the data to see um, what we would call HRV normal values or population values or um, I don't know what's the name that you used also in uh, in your HRV course, you used another name, I think, uh, well, to, to define basically, you know, relations between HRV and age and um, mm. different conditions. Demographic information. Exactly, exactly. So um, it's uh, the same thing. So we want to look at, you know, cross-section, yeah, baseline, uh, HRV scores and different variables. And one way also to look at this is to build a regression model where uh, we want to predict HRV for a specific person, given certain characteristics. So that could be age, body weight, um, even, I don't know, how many trainings per week, these kind of things. And then if we build a model like this, um, we get uh, an understanding of how good are these variables to predict um, the variable of interest. And in case of HRV, they are not very good. So what does this tell us is that there is much variability between people and it's not as simple as being a person of this age and body weight and trainings three times per week, you know, like there is much more to it, which is individual differences in physiology, is genetics. Um, so typically we cannot explain much of the variability this way at the population level, which is one of the reasons why it's important that you collect your data and you understand how you respond to different stressors. And then this is also one of the reasons why the absolute value doesn't make much sense. So if your MSSD is uh, 60, it doesn't mean much, let's say. Right. Uh, it, be, it puts you in a very broad set of people with, uh, which have more or less that score. Um, it doesn't really define much about you, uh, which is, again, why we look at relative changes and you, know, you always construct your baseline and then you look at how your scores change on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's what is meaningful more than your absolute score because um, that, as a matter of fact, seems that maybe the biggest factor there is even genetics uh, more than anything else, apart from age, which is also a big one. But uh, if you want to see changes due to age, <laughs> you've got to measure for at least two decades. So <laughs> it's not going to be, at a personal level, it's not very meaningful. That's, that's powerful information. And uh, I'm glad that you kind of see the same uh, way that I see it because that's how we teach it in the course too is that we talk about um, the absolute value it basically just kind of gives you it's kind of like that cross-sectional uh, data point it's just kind of like okay where am I generally starting and then now I can uh, look at those relative changes to see am I moving the needle in the right direction or the wrong direction and depending on you your starting point and your goals the right direction is up for a lot of people, but it could be down for some people. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's all very individual. So, yeah. um, 
Cool. No, that's that's great. That's a good uh, explanation. And I think um, it's powerful to hear you say that uh, it's not you can't really establish good causality from uh, one variable towards HRV for every individual across a population because it is so individual. And, you know, I'll get questions like, um, okay, well, is my score good? And uh, it's like, well, I mean, it looks like you're not dead, so <laughs> it's not too bad, I guess. But, um, you know, you can say that generally it looks better than the average or generally it looks lower than average or something like that. But I need to know a lot more about you to help you determine uh, if this is good or not. Yeah, that's always a difficult question because, you know, it's... Um there is no good answer, right? Uh, any score can be good indeed. And then uh, you have to see, again, you can compare to other people. It's a, like something we we see, for example, is of course that in our, the data we have and the data you have is most likely uh, people into uh, sports and training. So um, uh, the, the scores will tend to be much higher than uh, the general population or what has been reported in studies which typically look at uh, maybe even just specific chronic diseases. Um, so some people then um, look at population comparisons and feel like they are on the low side. I am even on the low side. Uh, so it's just because our data is skewed towards uh, people that are extremely fit. So that needs to be always the disclaimer when we show data coming from our own data sets that it's um, it's always to put in the right context um, and not representative of the of the general population for sure. Yeah, that makes sense, and that that makes me feel better about my data too. Uh, <laughs> to keep that in mind. I never look at population comparisons; makes me so sad. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. Uh, so I'm young and I'm pretty fit, but why is my score uh, not above everyone else? But uh, so. It's uh, no, no, that's that's great. So uh, what have you seen, um, though, as far as uh, correlations go, um, as far as like which variables tend to affect heart rate variability the most? So I think one of the most interesting ones is, of course, training, um, as it's the, the whole principle behind what we try to do mm-hmm. <laughs> with our apps um, is to help us guidance in training. Um, so something interesting there uh, that we did was to look at, um, so let's say these acute day-to-day changes in training, these are the most obvious to look at because um, it's easy, it's easy also for people to, to you know, start to get more confident with the apps uh, or with the, with artery variability in general, you would measure a uh, couple of days, you would go for a hard training, um, let's say a hard aerobic training, which is mo- more likely to trigger this. Um, physiological stress and then the day after you would measure a lower score most likely so that gives confidence that you can capture this kind of change Uh, and this has been also shown in many studies in the past but always on very small um, sample sizes so what we did here was to look at um, data from about 800 people uh, people that measured each one for up to five months so you know longitudinally we could look at day-to-day changes for each person, uh, what's your average HRV change uh, after rest, after an easy workout? What about after an intense workout? Uh, and then you could see 
that even across different age groups and genders, there was always um, a reduction in HRV following more intense trainings and um, an increase in HRV following rest days. So that gives you confidence that you can capture these across a broad set of individuals over time. Uh, and of course, it's not uh, you know as simple as two plus two every time. It's not that you always have these kind of changes. Uh, what we do is to look at this more systematically over time, because of course every time there can be some other factors influencing your physiology. But if you can capture it uh, systematically over a long period of time, it means that still um, your uh, training is reflected uh, your physiology, and then you can guide that. Uh, you can use that to guide recovery. Um, so that I think was a, a, a nice analysis because it was done, you know, just using an app, uh, everyone measuring at home, no supervision, so uh, very different setting from uh, the standard clinical studies. Then probably other variables I would say uh, sleep. Um, so I haven't looked systematically at uh, correlations between uh, what people tag, you know, like what, what they input after the measurement and physiology, uh, maybe something for the next analysis, but I think what people report often is also to see, you know, strong links uh, with sleep and then some disruption with uh, um, travel and uh, also alcohol intake, of course, maybe things that last one, two days and not necessarily always reductions, you know, sometimes um, there are some other mechanisms, but you see um, the simply scores are like either way too low or way too high and you know it's just not normal for your physiology right. uh, and that always I think triggers um, uh, should trigger always you know some uh, some thought uh, about you know what happened and how things change and maybe adapt. Yeah, that makes sense yeah and that that kind of comes back to the individuality of it as well. I mean, um, when you see an acute change in your heart rate variability, for some people, for a lot of people, you can say, um, like you mentioned, generally after a hard training day, you'll see it go down, um, heart rate variability go down. Uh, but for some people, it'll go up. Um, and it depends on, uh, you know, the type of training, the duration of training, their experience with the training. Um, and I've also seen it be different if, uh, if they trained yesterday morning versus yesterday evening, um, it can, you can kind of hit it in a different, uh, point in the recovery, uh, period. So that, that's where kind of one data point maybe is not as useful as having multiple data points and then doing the, the couple days after that too, to see, um, how the total effect is, but definitely okay so um we're we're doing well getting through these questions pretty quick i think <laughs> probably because you know the subject so well <laughs> um, so this will be a fun one because i already know the answer and it was in that mistakes post but i wanted to get hear from you uh what your opinion was um so we've been asked before if you can just get a quick and dirty heart rate variability reading and most often these individuals are asking about maybe their Fitbit or um, I guess the, the Myo Alpha is a common one that people or the Skosh band uh, that they the those devices send RR intervals um, but they're pre-smoothed or they're altered or they're averaged so 
Um, I have my own response to this, but I was curious, uh, <laughs> what do you tell people when they ask you uh, if they could just get a quick and dirty HRV reading that way? So, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not possible. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, definitely um, the problem with these devices. So it is probably even better, I would say, for us for to work with the ones that um, don't send our intervals at all. So, you know, at least there is no risk. Uh, then still, I think we need to get the message across that um, most probably all at this stage um, sensors that measure on the wrist, for example, um, they have some problems in measuring HRV, um, not because of the technology itself, but simply because they target a different application, right? It's already very hard to get reliable heart rate at the wrist due to the fact that, you know, you always move it and there is uh, so many artifacts um, that there is some heavy signal processing there to get uh, heart rate uh, to an accurate level. Some of these devices are actually extremely good at detecting uh, heart rate even during exercise. Um, for example, uh, even the Mio Alpha, mm -hmm. probably uh, among the ones I tried uh, while running, it was working very well. Yeah. Um, others have problems even with uh, with heart rate. Um, Fitbits and other devices, they've, they've shown many times that there is some problems during, during intense exercise. Um, the problem is, even with the good ones, is that indeed they filter a lot the data and there is a lot of post-processing to get um, reliable heart rate and basically the information is lost uh, of when exactly you have the peak and that, that you know is important because when you have the two peaks then you determine that are interval and that's the basic unit of information that you need over one to five minutes uh, to determine our variability. So with these other devices that still send error intervals like the Mi Alpha, um, then if you don't know this, you might just use it with an app because it would connect and then you would just gather the data. And uh, um, the problem is that you cannot even correct for this, meaning that different devices would um, get you a different number because maybe they have a different kind of smoothing. Um, in general, you would tend to have a much lower HRV than what your HRV is, mm -hmm. because with all this averaging, basically, you lose some of the variability. But this is not actually always the case because there was this other uh, sensor, it's called the Angel sensor, um, which is like an open platform, uh, which is very nice, like they provide uh, code and everything so that you can access uh, PPG at the wrist, um, so optical measurements, uh, acceleration and those sorts of numbers basically meant to be used by developers that want to build applications on top of it. So we got one of those and tried to see if we could get a reliable PPG from there for our trade variability, as it also uses, you know, uh, standard Bluetooth low energy protocols. Mm -hmm. So then you could use it even with your app, for example. But um, in that case, also the, the peaks were not um, accurate and the processing there was different. So we actually, I think I was actually getting higher HRV than I was supposed to get. So that, that's a problem because, you know, it's a bit like with, uh, I would say with step counters, you know, some underestimate, some overestimate, mm -hmm. and then you never have the right number. Uh, so with HRV and sensors which are not clinically validated or chest traps which are accurate, um, I, probably not even all chest traps are as accurate. So it's also important there to make sure um, that it's a good one. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, 
it's uh, it's basically useless to get data this way also because uh, many apps now report the same parameter at least rmssd is one of the ones reported and then uh, you know you could compare with other people or um, switch systems or whatever you want to do and still everything would be meaningful over time and that would not be the case if you use a sensor or device that is not um, accurate in uh, in detecting RR intervals and this uh, this is a pity because like it's not clear also from you know the manufacturers of these sensors and it's very hard to find validations so you always need to you know dig a bit and find out um, what's a good setup. Yes, no, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And this is kind of one of those areas where um, you know we get a lot of questions like, oh, I found this uh, chest strap that was uh, it's only ten dollars. Um, and you know <laughs> does it work and i first i have to say sorry i can't test every chest strap in the whole world but yeah. uh, but second if it's only ten dollars it's probably not i just <laughs> you know i i don't know yeah exactly maybe mm-hmm. it does but probably not um and uh similar to the way i treat nutrition is um i don't i don't try to save all of my money on food because I think food is one of the, like the most important things. It's the f- fuel for our body. And this is type, uh, even though our apps are very cheap, <laughs> um, you know, as far as if you're going to invest in like a piece of hardware to monitor your, your systemic health and performance, then the difference between 10 and $50, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I agree completely. Especially as you say, like the barrier is already extremely low costs are, a fraction of what they were, I don't know, 10 years ago. So uh, at that point, uh, it's better to get a good chest strap uh, and just make sure that, that the data is accurate that way. Yeah. And so, and also, I mean, yeah, to be fair, I guess some people don't really know much about heart rate variability when they're first getting into it. So it does maybe seem like a bigger investment, but um you know that's hopefully they're listening to the podcast and then they they can just understand (laughs) um but no that's great so you mentioned that a lot of apps uh measure rmssd um and i know that uh there's a lot of different values which we actually also cover in the course time domain frequency domain some non-linear values but um why is it that uh, you chose to focus on time domain and RMSSD values? So um, I think mainly because of um, two reasons. One, well, the first imp- the first one most important probably, probably is that we want to capture um, still something which is meaningful of physiological stress. And it seems um, clear that RMSSD is a good marker of parasympathetic activity. Um, and therefore, it would make it... Um, a good feature, you know, to understand um, the the effect of training, uh, which is can be a major stressor or of other life stressors. Um, also, in research for many years, I think uh, the sports science community settled on this uh, on using RMSSD instead of other features. Um, some earlier studies were using also the high frequency power typically uh, as these two features basically measure the same thing um, both are related to parasympathetic activity um, so i think that well definitely we want that's what we want to capture and then the second point would be that it's easy it's uh, easy to compute it's uh, easy to standardize uh, there's only one way to compute it um, 
that's something that is very problematic i think with a frequency domain feature i i, I find it very annoying when i read literature and i cannot compare um, you know any studies or understand uh, how that would relate to data we collected simply because um, time and like because frequency domain features both uh, low and high frequency domain features are typically um, processed differently uh, by different people mm -hmm. there is many different steps actually you know you get the RR intervals which have by definition they are not at the at the same sampling frequency, right? Because they have different time differences. So you have uh, first to interpolate this data that you can do in different ways. Um, then you have to do the frequency domain analysis. So other steps that you can do differently in terms of how you window the data. Um, if you even eventually decide to normalize this data or not, sometimes it, it feels like um, you can create like 20 different parameters uh, from these frequency domain features. You know, you have like, uh, the ratio, you have one and the other, you have the normalized version and non-normalized version, and then of course there will be one that differs uh, <laughs> because you know that's how statistics works, right? You make 20 comparisons and then one will be off. Right. So I think it's much easier if we just focus on one that is supposed to capture the same physiological process um, in a simple way. And uh, typically most studies that look at this feature now report um, important changes um, and different clear differences um, across different populations or due to training. Um, even well, now I work a lot with uh, pregnancy data at Bloom, mm -hmm. so um, we also can see clear changes in MSSD, for example, uh, with pregnancy because you know um, heart rate also increases a lot uh, because you have to you know supply blood to the fetus. Um, and so you see, for example, a much bigger reduction in MSSD during the third trimester. So these physiological changes are captured very well with this feature. That's why I think I, I'm going to stick to it. Wow. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, that's I, mm -hmm. I would rarely see in in uh, published research how they interpolated or, or you know, different uh, factors that go into the calculation of the frequency domain, same that you were just mentioning. Uh, but that's interesting to hear about the pregnancy. So that would, that's uh, one thing too to note. Like I think a lot of people would say, oh, well, if, if heart rate variability, RMSSVD values drop in the third trimester, that they might think that that's bad. But uh, it's not necessarily bad because, uh, as you mentioned, heart rate elevates. You're providing blood for two bodies, essentially. Exactly. Just normal physiological changes. Yeah. So it's... And again, what is normal will depend on the person. So I think that's also another opportunity to try to explore better, you know, changes in a specific sample of the population. Um, and that at a certain point will also be useful data to look at, um, to compare and, uh, and possibly make adjustments. Okay. Well, I have to remember there was somebody that asked a question of, to us about pregnancy effect on heart rate variability. I'm going to try to... You can forward to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I know a guy. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, great. So uh, we covered pretty much all of my questions. Um, I mean, there's there's so much more that we can talk about because as I'm sure you found, I mean, you've been working on this for years now and there's always something new to analyze and learn um, from the data and we can continue to add context and also as our 
our populations both grow uh, <laughs> and we have more data to work with. So that's great. Um, so yeah, I appreciate Yeah, definitely. Maybe we can try to do this again sometime. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually if people are listening, um, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, Marco and I were enemies. So we try not to talk very much, but no, uh, if anybody has any questions for either of us, then feel free to email us um, and we can come back on and do another round. And Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that would be good. And uh, so where, Marco, where can people find you before we wrap up? Um, uh, on my website, I guess, uh, that's marcoaltini.com. Uh, my email is also uh, altini.marco at gmail. So it should be easy enough, but I think it's also on the website. Or, uh, well, on Twitter, I'm often busy with um, um, HRV-related things. So that would be also the easiest. That's at marco underscore ALT. But yeah, maybe we can put a link somewhere yeah we'll provide links in the show notes and um, yeah this will be great uh, I think people will really it's kind of nice to hear uh, from somebody who really understands the data science uh, perspective um, that we're not just making this up when we say that <laughs> accuracy is important or that having multiple data points is important or that you can't necessarily compare yourself just because you're the same age as somebody. Definitely. Yeah. So I appreciate all of that. And uh, we'll have a round two for sure. And we'll wrap up with that. Ciao, Jason. Ciao. Grazie. Hey, folks. Jason here again. To get the links, show notes, and more information about where to contact Marco Altini, head on over to EliteHRV.com slash podcast and click on the show notes for this episode. Um, we've opened up a whole new channel of communication recently. If you have any questions for myself or any of the guests, including Marco, the Plusen Prof, Alessandro, Greg, Dr. Taylor, Andrew Flatt, or anyone that's been on the show, um, or anything really that you'd like to see on the show, just send your question or comment to podcast at EliteHRV.com, and we'll take a look at that. Um, and also, thank you for the great questions that we've already received so far on other channels as well. And last, before you take off, I want to say thank you so much. We've re started receiving a steady stream of iTunes reviews, which helps so much in these critical early days of the podcast. Some very kind words have been said, and it's great to hear that we're providing information that thousands of you um, are already benefiting from. And so thank you for that feedback, and we'll do our best to keep producing a great show. And and on that note, actually, I didn't I didn't know this, but it's actually interesting what you learn being on the production side of these shows instead of just um, listening, which I also like enjoy listening to podcasts, is that iTunes reviews actually don't show up the same way for everyone. They apparently have to reach a critical mass in a certain geographic location before any of them show up in that region, which is why you may or may not see all of the reviews that I see from your iPhone uh, on the podcast app or in iTunes. Uh, so nothing is as straightforward as it seems. Um, so thank you to those who have left a review. And if you haven't, here's your cue. We read every single one on iTunes. And in these early weeks of the show, it helps a huge amount. Just tap the links provided in the very podcast app that you're listening from right now or jump onto iTunes from your computer. 
Thank you in advance. We'll see you next time for another great episode. This is Jason Moore signing off. Sponsored by HRVCourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.